Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Charlotte Bond. And I'm Megan Lee. Today, we are missing our third co-host, Lucy Hansom, who is unable to join us. So Megan and I had a brainstorming session about how we could talk about all the things that we like that Lucy's not so keen on, such as Star Trek, Red Dwarf and Pitch Black. And that's when we hit on the idea of jobs for women, with equality of pay and the drive to get more women in top executive jobs reaching the headlines in our current era. Does the world of the future have women in the same roles they occupy now, or do they have them in traditionally male-dominated roles? So first of all, let's talk about our favourites. Star Trek, Uh, not just because it was one of the first science fiction shows, but because it's had various incarnations throughout the decades. So, Megan, let's talk about what kind of roles women had in the original series and then TNG and also what kind of roles they have now. Okay, so this is where we get into like my proper nerdery. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is the official term. If you're not super into Star Trek lore and you know all like the backstory about everything. So in the original pilot... Um, the actually you had uh, Captain Pike and you had number one who was played by Major Barrett who others would know as uh, Nurse Christine Chapel or Luxana Troy or the voice of the computer so she's been around but she was uh, married to Gene Roddenberry so it makes sense but in, in this initial pilot she was second in command she was a brunette as well, which is interesting because they change her to a blonde <laughs> later they on. They do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically the studio sort of wasn't really convinced by the pilot and part of the problem was this, you know, this woman was in this massive position of power and it just really didn't go down very well at the studio. And then you see, okay, so they come back for the new pilot where they've got, Okay, a different captain. Christine Chapel has, you know, so the number one has gone to Christine Chapel. She's a blonde nurse and has far less power. And also you'll note that, you know, one of the first black women of power we ever had was Uhura, and she's working on the bridge, which is amazing. But if you actually go and watch the Star Trek pilot, Uhura isn't in there. So that's a nice little way that Gene Roddenberry got that kind of thing in there just snuck it under the radar because <laughs> the studio bought Star Trek before, yeah, they, they saw that Uhura would be on there. So I think that, you know, props to Gene Roddenberry there. To be honest, if you're going to diss his wife, he's going to get his own back. I, I do like that. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wonderful. But yeah, so, I mean, Star Trek has that kind of history behind it, which is really interesting. But then at the same time, you know, it did really bring loads of really wonderful female characters to the fore. So, you know, in original series, you do have Uhura, which not only was she, you know, a woman in the the kind of the the command centre, but she was also a woman of colour. And then, yeah, we go on to TNG, which got better, and DS9, which got better again. And then we had, you know, our first female captain in Voyager and so on and so forth. But I feel like I should let you talk a little bit. All I was going to say is I can't really watch the original series of Star Trek and look at Uhura without thinking of Galaxy Quest, where they had Sigourney Weaver in the role, um, a similar role, basically go, repeating what the computer says is the only job I have. And I kind of feel a little bit like that about um, Star Trek in some of it, certainly. And they, and like you said, now that you've explained the pilot and sort of um, Nurse Chapel being relegated, I could see why that would be in some episodes. But then, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, you had the first interracial kiss. Um, yes. And it's, you know, I think Star Trek, the very first one, although it is still, by our standards, quite laughably um, 
full of machismo. At the same time, it was gently pushing those rights. And then we, like, say, move on to TNG, which is where I become um, the real nerd, I think, or I used to be anyway. Um, and I used to love that. But I kind of feel like if you look at the next generation, you've got well, she's gone from nurse up to doctor, <laughs> which yeah. I know you were chatting about before. So we got, yeah, Dr. Gates McFadden. Uh, sorry, Beverly no, that's Crusher. her real name. Dr. Crusher, Beverly Crusher. <laughs> and you've also got um, Troy as well. And they're both great characters and they both have a lot of involvement, but they seem to be very caring roles. And I know we were chatting about this beforehand and that in our current society, we've got women who are generally teachers, mothers, homemakers, nurses, uh, administrative roles, most of the stuff that could fit around family. And I kind of felt like they were still keeping that within the next generation going, okay, we're going to have them as key players, but they're going to have these very caring roles. Yeah, I mean, I feel the same. And it's it's a shame because I, I think Beverly is one of the, the best characters, to be honest. I One of my favourite things about Next Generation is the relationship between Beverly and Picard, especially in the later seasons. I think that, that works really well. And it's really interesting, especially between two characters who are, you know, on the slightly older end of characters. And that's fantastic to see because you don't see it that all that often. But yes, in terms of the main female characters, they are a little bit, you know, they're the caring and, you know, um, I mean, Deanna Troy always annoyed me. I felt she was a bit wishy-washy. I wasn't really a fan. But there is... I think we can call... She was a regular, at least from... Oh, God, this is where my seasons would get confused. Maybe season five? The last few seasons, anyway. But Ensign Rowe, when they introduced her, um, I loved her. But the thing is, she... So she's a woman who's very different, and she doesn't have that caring role. She's an ensign on the bridge. But she's also sort of portrayed as very masculine, which is quite interesting as well. But at least, you know, we got some more female representation on the bridge because otherwise, you know, the, it, it was pretty sausage heavy up in that <laughs> Enterprise bridge, I gotta say. Well, the other one that we, we forget, who comes right back at the beginning, which my husband had to remind me of, was Tasha Yar, of course. Yes, that is true. Who is yeah. right up there on the bridge and fulfilling um, a definite masculine role because then it gets taken over by Worf, the most masculine that there is. Um <laughs> And I don't know, your your nerdyism might know best than I do, why um, Tashi R was killed off. Um, but it was, you know, it was really powerful stuff having her up there, even for the short time that she was there. And I know that there was a big um, sort of, not outcry, but a big like, oh, when they killed her off because she was powerful and strong and she was a main character. And it was a really sad episode. I mean, I blubbed my eyes out as a teenager when I watched it. Yeah, and also when she comes back um, as... She plays a sister in a single episode. As the, Sorry, this is Denise Crosby, not the character Tashi R, but Denise Crosby comes back in a later episode where she plays her Tashi R's sister and she's a rebel fighter, you know, and she's very political and angry. And again, she's really quite intimidating and not the kind of stereotypical role. And that's really interesting again. And yeah, I mean, Tashi R was, was a, actually quite an interesting step forward in terms of having the security officer be a woman. But yeah, so it was a shame in that respect that they lost her after the one season, but you know, we do what we can. But then again, so once they move from next generation, you move to deep space nine and they had Kira and Dax. Dax is an interesting one because she is kind of 
she's very gender fluid because she's a trill and her previous incarnation was in a male body. Um, it's a very interesting play with gender and gender ideas and, you know, with Cisco being a friend of hers from when she was a man uh, and still referring to her as old man and all these kinds of things. You know, it's, it's interesting that they played with these ideas. They didn't always do it brilliantly, but it was great to see them actually touch on those issues. But also there's a character in Deep Space Nine that I have a lot of love for, which might be um, controversial, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's Cassidy Yates, who dates Cisco for a while. I love her. I think she's fantastic. Um, and she's sort of, she's a freighter captain. So she kind of comes in irregularly because obviously it's the station. She comes and trades with the station. But then it turns out that she's a bit shadier than we first expected and she gets written off. But I quite like that again because she's, you know, the, the captain of her own ship. She's also, I guess, an entrepreneur. She's very business savvy. She's also political. And, you know, so I, I just really like Cassidy Yates as, as a character. She's fantastic. So what did you think of Voyager? Because my understanding um, is that after The Next Generation, the writing team kind of split up and those who wanted to have a darker side um, and sort of more gritty went to Deep Space Nine, whereas those who wanted to kind of have the pure purity of exploring space went with Voyager. And certainly those two ran at the same time and they had a very different feel to them. And I always found um, Kate Mulgrew's uh, captain to be very different to all the characters in Deep Space Nine. Um, well, Deep Space Nine started when TNG was still going. And then I think it's season three. I could be wrong. But uh, Ronald D. Moore goes over to Deep Space Nine. And that's when you start getting really into the Dominion Wars and things get really dark. And so Ronald Moore is the showrunner behind Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, and Outlander. So, And you can start to actually see some of similarities between the the kind of the construction of the storylines and it's really interesting and and when you go back and watch Deep Space Nine after having seen Battlestar you can really see those influences there. Well that's the thing and that's what I like about all of this Star Trek stuff is you can see how each series is built on the next one and how we wouldn't get all of the series we have today if you didn't start off right back at the very beginning with Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all the the guys there. Yeah, I mean Voyager I I liked in sort of the the setup because you have in a lot of the Star Trek except for like the early ones you know this the Federation is very well established and they are already established as powerful and you know that they're always going to get out of situations because they're like this massive superpower you know in space. But with Voyager you have you take that security blanket away from them entirely. Mm. So it's an interesting concept. I I mean, I watched it at the time, you know, I never missed an episode when it was airing, but it's not, it's certainly not a favourite um, Star Trek iteration, mostly because I found Captain Janeway really irritating and Chakotay. I was never a fan of Chakotay either, or Neelix, or, I mean, I love the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, who do I like? Oh, guess, ugh. <laughs> You like all the medical stuff all the way through by the sounds of things. Uh, yeah, I do, to be honest, yeah. But I did, I really liked Seven of Nine. I thought Seven of Nine was fantastic. Yes, so, she was interesting. Yeah. It's the same thing you were talking about earlier about Dax and not necessarily the gender fluidity, but this whole idea of having had a, a previous life and how that um, affects your current standing with the crew and your interactions with them. I always found that really interesting. 
I think she was a great addition to the cast and I think it gets a lot more interesting once she's there and just because again you you then bring in that kind of data role where you know data was always sort of struggling to to be more human and to understand that kind of thing but he whereas data was always really trying to be more human you have seven of nine being more of a spock character who's really kind of battling with that and sort of pulling away from those emotions and you know so more of a struggle in that they don't want to be part of that um so and and i've always found those kinds of storylines you know the spock the data etc you know those stories really really interesting so i i definitely think seven was a great character so what about the more recent series? I must admit, with um, a family at my heels, I don't have much time for Star Trek anymore. So my knowledge kind of peters out with Voyager. But have you seen the, the later series? Can you comment on those? I skipped Enterprise entirely because I've heard pretty much just terrible things. Um, so I can't comment there. But I have watched Discovery. And while I think sometimes it's a little bit average, I think there are. it certainly does get stronger by the end. But what I... <sighs> I kind of loved and and hated some of the stuff in Discovery because you have it sets up with both the captain and you know number one both being powerful, incredible, intelligent women. But then that's kind of immediately taken away. One of them dies, and then the other one is basically uh, tried as like a war criminal, and they get replaced by men again. So it kind of reestablishes the patriarchy and all the positions of power that we're then seeing, except maybe like the one instance of a female admiral that comes in later. But in terms of like the core cast the, and their positions, it's all men in power. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, you could have, you know, it, it could have been more interesting, I guess. But at the same time, it does play around with some interesting themes. They set it up, I guess, to be more, you know, tense because the the main character, who is a, is a woman, ha- kind of has more to fight against. But at the same time, you think mm, it would have been nice if, you know, at least one of them was still in power and was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Now, obviously, Star Trek's been going for a very long time, um, but another saga, a classic science fiction saga that spanned the ages, is Star Wars, and we had the original films in the nineteen seventies. Then we moved on to the uh, prequels, the less said about them, the better, in the 1990s. The 1990s? We... It, was, it was 1999? Do we still count that? Yes, that counts as the 1990s. Well, yeah, but that, that was just <laughs> a phantom menace. I mean, the others were in the 2000s. Okay, the, the late I, 1990s I know, I, and the early noughties. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it was? It's just I didn't want to say noughties because I just, I, I hate that term. But and obviously we now have um, the sequels in whatever you name the current era. So I was kind of looking at the different um, female characters you have in this. And I kind of feel like they got it right with Leia right at the beginning. And then not at all after that, if that makes sense. So for me, I kind of like we had Leia at the beginning and she's powerful. She's independent. She's part of... um, uh, well, sort of a love triangle. Sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen the original ones, but you know, sort of a love triangle until she finds out that one of them's her brother. And she's just, she's just the most amazing character ever. And I mean, even when she's captured as a slave, she basically used her slave chains to throttle the man who enslaved her. Sorry, the man, the creature that enslaved her, and then nips away and looks fabulous whilst doing it. 
And then we go into the prequels, and it's been a long time since I watched them, but I vaguely remember they're just being Padme as the main recurring female character. We have others like Anakin's mother and a few Jedi's in there as well. But it's generally Padme, and she's she's quite cool. But she really kind of feels like just the cogwheel that needs to be there to make the rest of it turn. Uh, I quite like her in Phantom Menace, but after that, you just kind of she almost feels demoted to love interest with a bit of spunk. And then the most the most recent ones, you've got um, obviously Ray, who I loved The Force Awakens. I thought that was really good. I thought that was really fantastic characterization. The second one, I thought there were some really really fascinating characters in there, but. I kind of felt like they didn't do anything. So you still had Ray, and then you had the wonderful addition of Rose. And then I have to check my notes to remember the uh, the name of the, the character. Was it? Oh, Vice Admiral Holdo, played by the wonderful Laura Dern, who was just amazing. But what did they really do at all to move the story along? I kind of didn't feel anything for them, which is such a shame because they should have been brilliant characters. What do you think, Megan? So this is where this is where we start dividing the audience, <gasps> isn't it? As long as we don't divide among ourselves, and that's fine. <laughs> oh, what are you talking about, Charlotte? That's what we do best. Um, <laughs> so I definitely am a Phantom Menace apologist. I think that there's actually a decent amount of good story in there, and at least it was trying to do something original, and I think there are some good characters. I, I would have to say that... I would pretty much watch that film over and over again simply for Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor. I thought they just, the whole film hung around them. And there was some other stuff going on in the background, but they were amazing. Yeah. And Darth Maul character was excellent. So yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. If I could fast forward all the other bits, I'd happily watch those bits all the way through. But well, they were brilliant. I, yeah, I'm an apologist. I, I like Phantom Menace. Not going to lie. Attack of the Clones can just disappear. Revenge of the Sith is... It's got some good points. I mean, the, that opening scene and the shots, where the, it's a really long shot of ships flying about in space, and it's really, really well done. Uh, but obviously, you know, that doesn't mean it's a good story or good characters. But I, I think there's definitely things to like about Revenge of the Sith. But not the, no! <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty pants. But, <laughs> but the thing is, I... Because I'm such a fan of Phantom Menace, rightly or wrongly, I'm, I am a big fan of Padme. I love that she is such a tough politician. And, you know, she's not really a negotiator because she just says absolutely not. She does not give in to the Trade Federation. And I, I just think she's wonderful. And not only because I'm in love with Natalie Portman. That's, I'm, I'm definitely not biased by that. But yeah, I, I love that. And I really like the kind of the, this is going to sound weird as well, why I loved this. But when I first saw it, I remember absolutely thinking it was brilliant that she was a queen, yet she was actually, so she was like a democratic monarch. I just thought that was really cool <laughs> and completely bizarre, um, but I really liked it. And then I also, you know, enjoy that you then see kind of the the young again. And because she was a young woman, she was meant to be like 14 and I just really like that because um, Keisha Castle Hughes plays the the sort of the the next one in Revenge of the Sith when you see um, Padme's body being you know basically a funeral. Um, but I just really love that idea of having this wonderfully intelligent and strong monarch 
being 14 years old and female and that they were always female. And yeah, okay, maybe she doesn't have much of a role in other things, but I just thought that that was great. I just really liked it as a concept. And maybe I forgave other things. Um, but if we move past the prequels onto the new films, this is where I diverge from you. I thought The Force Awakens was simply a regurgitation of A New Hope, almost blow for blow. So saying that Ray had good characterization was basically just saying that Luke had good characterization because they copied it. Well, you see, I kind of <laughs> I kind of sympathize with them in that because it was the after the terrible ter- well, obviously opinion is divided, but the, the quite <laughs> substandard prequels that we had. I kind of see what they were going for because I think a problem problem I tend to find with um sequels in particular is that a lot of people don't necessarily want too many changes. They want more of the same, please. You've kind of got to figure out what was so good about the original and then try and replicate it, but in a slightly new way for a sequel. And I kind of like the fact that they went, okay, well, we're rebooting it from scratch. Let's take everything that everybody liked about the new hope, but give it a new twist. And I I kind of thought that was a a bonus for it. I liked that. (laughs) I liked that (laughs) element to it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, yeah. No. But the thing, so when you look at Leia and just like the original trilogy, the thing is that George Lucas studied myths and legends and archetypes and he used those that sort of study to create a story. So everything that he built was kind of copying from this kind of rich history and where the prequels and then I think now the sequels are failing is that they've stepped away they're no longer taking you know their inspiration from archetypal narratives and i just i think that's where it's failing because that was the whole point of the original trilogy and even george lucas seemed to forget that so i mean i suppose these uh, disney can be forgiven since <laughs> george lucas did as well but i you know it, it even though I really didn't like The Last Jedi and I, you know, think The Force Awakens just was so unoriginal as to be insulting, uh, I do appreciate that they are making concerted effort to include more women. And more women in more interesting roles as well. I mean, the thing about um, Star Wars, particularly the later ones, is there's an awful lot of military in it. Um, and if we're going to start talking about military and, and spaceships, I'd really like to move on to Battlestar Galactica, because that's got some very interesting women within it uh, in a military setting. Um, now, I was reading up the other day about um, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, and I show my age here, but when I was a kid, they always used to have things like Battlestar or Buck Rogers or the Adams Family on at BBC Two at six o'clock when I was having my tea. So I grew up on this kind of stuff. And I was I was kind of fond of um, Starbuck when it was um, played by the original guy. And he was kind of cheeky and, and you know, and uh, a bit flirty and very confident. And I, when I realized that they recast him as a woman, I was like, is that going to work? But reading the theory behind it was that they didn't want to have another Han Solo character. So they introduced, um, it's a good you know, good way to get around that, as they turned um, Starbuck into a woman. And I think it works really well. I think they've managed to retain the arrogance, the confidence, and they give it a whole new spin with being a woman. And being, being a woman in the military, even in the military in the future, is always going to be tough. You're going to be up against um, 
you know, the physical side of it all. I know there's one episode in Battlestar Galactica when they literally test the physical limits by having um, boxing matches with everybody, which <laughs> I thought was quite good fun. But I mean, Katie Sackhoff's character at Starbuck, you know, holds her own in there. Um, and there are, you know, some brilliant women in there. We've got um, Rosalind as the president. And it's just, it's like everything I would like my future to be in Battlestar Galactica. The only the only downside, I would say, to um, the reboot of BSG is that when I was thinking about it in an overall arc, if you had any mythical um, or spiritual or, dare I say it, hysterical um, elements to it, it was always the women. So it was Starbuck who was having all these visions and um, may or may not have been an angel. You had Rosalind and her priestess who were having these visions and, you know, about the dying leader and things like that. Um, whereas on the other hand, and of course Six as well, who was having all the visions about uh, Baltar. But Baltar was obviously having visions about Six of Us. That kind of balanced each other out. <laughs> and it, it reminds me of those memes they send around uh, every now and again that pops up of um, the list of things that could put women in a, in a sanitarium just literally being, you know, slightly hysterical, having a wandering womb or we reading too much or, or something like that. And I kind of almost felt like they'd created these wonderful characters. But if there was going to be something touchy feely, something emotional, it was going to be with the women. And I don't really know if that's a good thing or if it's a bad thing. Yeah, I suppose you could also say it for um, um it's been a while so I don't remember their numbers. Uh Lucy Lawless's model. <laughs> I've got the feeling she was number 1. I can't remember. I can't remember. But like cuz you know she's obsessed with the the child and she's very kind of motherly and you see the the colors that she's usually wearing and it's this this very symbolic there over and over again. Um and again like Sharon you know, is kind of, you know, the mother figure and all this kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, it it is interesting, but I there is just such a range, at least, with Battlestar. I would say, again, you know, if you looked at the numbers, it's still very much skewed to the men, but, you know, you have the women pilots, you have women who, who are in the political sense, you have female administrators, you have, you know, so that they're, they're kind of really spread around, and that's I think kind of the important thing to me is that you can see them living in this world, existing there and having the same jobs as the men and on par in terms of opportunities, I guess. So, Absolutely. I mean, I've got a few military friends on Facebook. Um, and I, when I was thinking about this and Battlestar in particular, I asked them um, if this was reflected in reality. And they forwarded me some links and some statistics. According to the biannual diversity statistics published in November 2017, female representation in the armed forces is at 10.3%, which is about the same that it was in 2016. And in the future reserves 2020, the representation was 14.1% which is actually an increase of 0.3% from 2016. And at the bottom of page five, it states that only 3.9% of senior officers are female. Um, and my military friends could, could give me a couple of names of women higher up in the army, but generally they were all mid-level. Uh, interesting enough, one female friend who is a former junior RAF crew, air crew officer said that most of the high-ranking women she encountered were senior medical, nursing, legal or administrative officers. And that's quite interesting because that's kind of borne out initially in Star Trek The Next Generation when we were talking earlier about women having caring roles. It does seem that that's a sort of reflection of reality. But then you've got something like Battlestar Galactica that is actually putting them in even more high command roles. Um, I mean, we have the insane Admiral Helena Kane, uh, played by Michelle Forbes, who comes in. Is it series two, I think? Two or three, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
And, you know, we've got two admirals. One's a guy and one's a woman. And I just found it really refreshing in Battlestar. Like you said, there's so much diversity. And, yeah, okay, the guys still dominate, but there's a lot more representation of women within administrative, political, and military roles than you would do in in normal society. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm reminded this is... Okay, this is one of my tangents, but uh, so it's not sci-fi related. But uh, when I was in high school, there was a poor, hard done by history teacher who I may have been partly responsible for him resigning as a teacher because I tormented him so badly. Um, <laughs> but in in our classes, I I don't I know this has changed since then, but it was Australian history and it was about um, women not being allowed in, in to serve in the front lines and so on. I was not going to take this. Okay, this was year eight. So I was, what, 12, 13? And I <laughs> really talked back to this poor dude. And I was just like, this is unacceptable. Of course we can, we can do anything you can do. And then, and he was like, oh, no, no. And he was trying to explain like why women couldn't. I'd like to preface this. It was quite a liberal school, but it was also an all girls school. Um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was interesting dynamics. And he told me that women wouldn't be able to pee and shoot a gun at the same time. <laughs> and that was why. And that therefore we'd be like le- left open to um, <laughs> the enemy or something. And I was like, that's ridiculous because we don't even have to aim. <laughs> that's what I was thinking that if you're a guy and you're trying to shoot and pee at the same time, it's going to go more downwards onto your shoes than yeah. if you're a woman and you just stand slightly apart yeah uh, like, yeah well, no i don't see the logic nonsense. there <laughs> absolute nonsense anyway it's just that was just making me think of that i don't know why that's fine um <laughs> but yeah there's i think there's some amazing military women in science fiction um sort of a f- fairly recent one that i really liked um despite being from a film with tom cruise who i despise but lived i repeat or edge of tomorrow depending on which version or renamed or whatever um so emily blunt's character rita i thought she was just fantastic and like you know like she's like the hero of the army and all these kinds of things and that's brilliant but you also have things like um so I read a lot of comics. So there's a series I read called Lazarus where you kind of have these big families and they all have kind of like a an engineered bodyguard, this this person who is created from the family's genetics base but, you know, is given the best of absolutely everything and engineered to be the perfect fighter. And this fighter, forever, she's a woman. So, hey! And she's, you know, genetically engineered to be the biggest badass of all time. Um, so that's awesome. And then you have people like, um, so The Stars of Legion by Cameron Hurley has Zan, who's an amazing military leader. She's both strategic as well as being, you know, just incredible sort of hand to hand. She's, yeah, amazing. You've got things like uh, Metal Gear Solid. So video games where you've got Meryl, um, who I always really liked. Um, in Metal Gear. Um, and then you've got things, sorry, I'm just like going on, I'm like, all these amazing women. Um, Alana in Saga, so going back to comics again, you've got, you know, there was, so that's um, a beautiful, beautiful story. And if you haven't read Saga, get onto it because it's amazing. But it's kind of star-crossed lovers from opposite sides of a war and they're both soldiers. 
and it's the f- the woman who is more sort of violent more into kind of that sort of the the angry headspace that you kind of get the stereotype for men and it's the man who's more into the the pacifist way of life um but yeah they're the two soldiers and they're completely different and yeah it's amazing Whew. I mean, uh, there's also Sarah Connor, and I think she's she's a great example, especially because it's like guerrilla warfare, so it's like the yes. military, mm. but it's also kind of, yeah, out there on the, the outskirts. Yeah, I could just go on. I think there's some f- just absolutely brilliant military female characters um, going on. So people like uh, Melinda Snodgrass and Yoon-ha Lee and all these people just wondering, writing wonderful characters like that, so... Yeah, that was that was my uh, bit of gushing about um, female military sci-fi characters. <laughs> now, obviously, there are an awful lot of space captains, pilots, um, and things like that. But what one of the ones that I found a bit lacking, and I know you're better read and better watched, is it for movies uh, than I am in this area. But I struggled to find very many women um, in a science fiction setting who were in a law enforcement role. So I was thinking of Blade Runner in the 1970s um, and my Minority Report, where the women are either objects or the kind of sidelines. And what brought it to mind is I've just been reading Wool, um, and that sort of lined up a woman in a sheriff's role, and I thought it was going to be fantastic, and then they kind of knocked her back. Um, so she didn't know how she'd get to do any policing. And if you think of all of the police and cop shows we have now – and all of the fantastic female cops we have, I couldn't really think of many within a science fiction and certainly a futuristic setting. But to balance that out, I did come across Dana Scully in The X-Files. And I kind of wonder if she's just so fantastic and fabulous, whether she, maybe she's balancing it all by herself. Okay, I have examples. <laughs> Excellent. There I'm we super go. excited to show my examples. Okay. <laughs> so, in terms of talking about film this covers films comics and even um prose uh, sort of like novellas as well so dread judge anderson there's a tons and tons of female judges in the world of dread and they're awesome judge anderson has her own storylines within the comics she's got spin-off short stories and like a whole collection of short novellas um yeah absolutely so she's a great example and her fellow female judges um, this is one I've not watched, but uh, I've been told that there is a female Robocop and she's not the love interest. And my housemate was very excited to tell me about that one. So I wanted to include <laughs> that one, but I can't speak to it because I've not seen it. And I know I will hang my head in shame. Uh, apologies for not seeing such a classic. Killjoys is one I really like. And I don't know if she she might not count in terms if you're going to be really strict with the whole law enforcement, but she is like... Um, a bounty hunter, so she's a rack officer in Killjoys. Um, Dutch, she's fantastic and yeah, just really cool. But I think technically, you know, like it, you know, she goes and collects criminals who have skipped bail and that kind of thing. So I feel like that counts. Then Gwen from Torchwood, she was a cop and then she kind of, I think she's kind of like becomes yeah. X Filey, the Welsh X Files. <laughs> I don't know. It was. Yeah, um, I don't know, because I, I saw her name in a list, and I was like, I don't really know. She never really grabbed me as being massively fantastic. Um, but True, I mean, just I a- mostly watch that show for... I was going to um, say for Captain Jack. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Ellen. 
Um, another one, though, in terms of like Dana Scully territory, you've got Olivia Dunham in Fringe. She's an FBI agent, um, and very similar kind of the the kind of the weird and wonderful FBI team. The other one I wanted to mention for law enforcement was uh, Robin Wright's character, Lieutenant Joshi, in the new Blade Runner, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, she's Kay's boss in the police or like the equivalent to the police at the time. And she's not got a massive role, but she is set up as, you know, the woman in power and so on. And I'm not sure if this one counts, actually. I know I said I had the last one and then I've thought of another. <laughs> Psych. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Glenn Close plays Nova Prime, who's the leader of the Nova Corps, but she's like, she is kind of giving out the the orders to all the the Nova Corps officers. So in a sense, she's I'm not sure exactly the structure of the Nova Corps and Guardians of the Galaxy, but for for the purposes of this argument, I'm going to say <laughs> she's law enforcement. But again, this might be a sweeping generalization, but I kind of felt that if if you've got um, two characters and there's a solution that involves killing people or a solution that involves saving people, the women will be cast in the saving people role. And this comes back to the whole idea of kind of being mothers, I suppose, and being a bit motherly. Uh, again, it's a sweeping generalization and there are going to be um, uh, exceptions. So, for example, uh, I was thinking mostly of Battlestar Galactica and those fabulous interactions between uh, Rosalind and Adama, where Adama's like, we must go in and we must like, you know, be military and fight things. And she's like, no, 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 we must preserve the human race. And then just to, you know, <laughs> balance it all out, we have the insane Admiral Helena Kane who comes along and goes, no, we're going to blow everybody up and, and save who we can, really. So in a weird way, the one main point that I had was almost undermined in the same way. But I was also thinking of, perhaps uh Lilo and Stitch I know we're, we're using this as an excuse to talk about all the things that we really like but in Lilo and Stitch I remember there was the Grand Councilwoman against Captain Gantu it was that same kind of dynamic there in Aliens you've got the same kind of dynamic where you've got the fabulous um Ellen Ripley who we will definitely talk about very shortly uh, and all the Marines and the Marines go we must go in and kill everything and, and Ellen's like no we must go in and save people and then I thought of Pitch Black, which we mentioned the other week um, and which Megan and I have been talking about offline. Um, and you've got Carolyn Fry, who actually does the opposite at the beginning. She jettisons, um, sorry for the spoilers, jettisons a load of people to try and a load of passengers to try and save the current passengers she's got. And then spends the whole of the film trying to redeem herself and save everybody who's left to kind of make up for this mistake as if she should never have done it in the first place. And I just kind of felt that this was a a thing with women that is carried through, um, a bit like the idea of care, sort of caring roles in, in Star Trek Next Generation. And what do you think, Megan? Yeah, this one, it's, it's a tricky one. I mean, what do you count as violence as well? I don't know this is going to be getting off track. But when it comes to, like, a personalised violence rather than, like, okay, I'm making a strategic decision which will kill a hundred people but save these people or so on and so forth like the kind of abstract violence mm. if you know what i mean yeah i think there's a difference so see the ones i'm thinking of are actually uh portrayed as evil or you know the the baddies as such um so in elysium you've got secretary delacourt played by the wonderful jodie foster um who's resorts to violence and manipulation and like 
every trick in the book to protect her little perfect world kind of thing. And yeah, she absolutely resorts to violence, but she's not actually the one enacting the violence. So I don't know if that changes it slightly. And then um, similarly, you've got uh, Tilda Swinton in Snowpiercer, where you've got, I mean, uh, again, this is like a little bit iffy on the violence. It's more like a general, you know, keeping people in poverty and terrible conditions and yeah, that sort of thing. But again, you know, she's not doing it herself as such. It's more of an abstract, I'm making these laws and you have to abide by them. And if you don't, well, then you, you're going to suffer kind of thing. I was about to say, that's not very motherly. <laughs> then I remember what I tell my daughter, so maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no. So these are the examples I was trying to say that, that don't fit into those stereotypes. Mm. But when they don't, the two that I thought of that didn't fit that were then portrayed as evil. You know, they weren't good characters. So it's like you can either be those kind of motherly characters or you could be the um, Carolyn character in Pitch Black where you have to redeem yourself for this kind of behaviour or you are just the bad guys. Like it's... That's why I like Pitch Black so much. I know it really is um, just the most popcorny film ever, but I really like this sort of tension that they build up at the beginning about the idea that she wants to jettison all the um all the passengers and the only thing that stops her is a guy and he's like no no that's it we are gonna save everybody and they don't manage to and then they, when they all eventually emerge there's the rest of the crew going wow thanks captain that's amazing flying you saved us all and you're like yeah and it was just you've got vin diesel running around chewing up the scenery and having his own little subplot about being you know super deadly and you've got this really um terrible plot line about all these um creatures that come out in the night and and kill you and all this kind of thing and then you have an everlasting night but it was really the rada mitchell storyline that just kept me going and her desperation to save these people to make up for the fact that she nearly killed all of them to try and survive and i must admit if i'd been in her situation in that moment of you know oblivion and fiery death versus killing a load of people who won't suffer because they're all in hypersleep what you know what would you do i suppose it is it's an impossible scenario. You're damned whichever way you go. Yeah. I mean, I would have done what she did, so. <laughs> I mean, we talked earlier about Katie Sackoff, who became Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica, which was traditionally a male role. So I was also, and I was looking into this, and thinking about, you know, women doing um, traditionally male jobs. I have to say we need to talk about Ellen Ripley and um, Sigourney Weaver being cast in what was originally um, a role written for a man and they turned it around and they turned it into Scony Reaver's most popular role I think I mean she was fantastic in Ghostbusters but she's always going to be remembered as Ellen Ripley and if you look at any of the the top 10 top 20 whatever women in sci-fi female role models whatever Ellen Ripley is usually in there somewhere if not you know very close to the top and I must admit although I do love Alien and I love the the whole feel and the claustrophobia to it. I think when you're looking at the roles of women, I really like Aliens. I found that a fantastic film when I was a kid because you've got um, Ellen Ripley, who manages to be the mother, but is also really kick-ass. And she manages to combine saving a small girl with saving all of the Marines, like charging in on, you know, in, in the big RV and saving them all. And you've also got the balance to that, which if you look at it is the, the alien queen who 
you know, Strictly is only protecting her young as well. And you have that fantastic scene at the end. You get away from her, you bitch. Um, which has just been, you know, satirized so many times. And you've also got Vasquez, who I thought was an amazing character. Um, here's a female character who, you know, is one of the guys, but still manages to retain her femininity. And she basically has a bromance. And there's a couple of times when they, they maybe mention she's a woman, but pretty much she's one of the guys. And she has her own story, which doesn't involve falling in love with someone. It just involves being really um, close to one of the other members of the squad and then becoming closer um, and obtaining a little bit of respect for basically the clown of the squad so that they realize at the end at the very end the bittersweet end that they do actually have something in common and they're just as brave as each other even though they're completely opposites within the actual um, narrative itself and I just I just think Aliens is so fantastic from that point of view. So I was thinking about this and I, I'm not sure what it says but I just I saw something interesting in looking at Alien and Aliens and Terminator and T2. In the first iterations of those franchises, you have horror sci-fi. And in each of them, the women are kind of that, the typical horror female in many ways. You know, they're the the final girl trope and you have, you know, they're everything's being taken away from them. And they fight to the last thing and then they finally get out. Um, and so while, yes, they overcome the problems shall we say <laughs> um they i mean they have agency in that they take charge of surviving but they don't really have a choice but then when you go to the sequels both of them really come into their own as you were saying like ripley is far more interesting as an actual character in aliens and the same goes to sarah connor and I just thought it was interesting when you moved from the sci-fi horror into the sci-fi action films, which they the, the sequels both sort of fall more into sci-fi action, um, that you get that really big shift in the roles of the the women, even though they're the same characters. I'm not sure what I could say, like why that is, or what yeah, what it says about the genre or those characters in particular. I just thought it was a really interesting um thing to note well to my mind the thing that links those um those two films that you mentioned and the female characters is the role of motherhood so we know that eventually you know sarah connor becomes pregnant in the first one but she's actually got a driving force of looking after her child in the second one and in the first one everybody's trying sorry in the first alien everyone's trying to look after the cat and save jonesy the cat but in the second one you've got newt who's there who is obviously and to a certain extent, replacing Ellen Ripley's own daughter. Mm. And I think that you've got so many stories where mothers come in and they have this very primal need to defend their children. And there's always the the trope of fancy or any narrative at all where you kind of have to get rid of the parents before the um, before the children can grow up and, and sort of grow into their roles. And the parents are always going to be a steadying hand. They're always going to be a safety net. And you have to remove that safety net before the children can come into their own. Mm. And it's not very often you have a traditional role of um, mother or, you know, father. Although the father one, I think, is a little bit more common, perhaps. But um, that you actually have this kind of parental role that is combined with kick-ass action as well. It, it's just, it's fantastic. Um, and I think it's a great way of showing how women in the future or in space, you know, are able to 
carry out a traditional female role, but also adapted to their surroundings and to still be a valid part of society rather than just being breeders, uh, as you know, there are so many science fiction films that, that suggest this. Uh, we could talk about The Handmaid's Tale, we could talk about Mad Max Fury Road, that kind of thing. So as you were saying, like Alien, you know, Ripley's character was originally written for a man and they kind of just went, well, why why not a woman? Why can't they be female? And I think we've talked a lot on this podcast over the last two and a half years. Yes, we've been going two and a half years about, you know, trying to change that default. So, you know, just stop. And if you've written a character, just stop to yourself and say, why can't they be female? And if there's absolutely no reason just make them female. And I like to, when I think about that, I think of the moment in The Fifth Element when the priests discover that the perfect being is a woman and they're, they're like, oh, it's a woman. And like they were really surprised. And like, uh, why are you surprised? Why shouldn't she be a woman? It is quite a male-heavy <laughs> film, actually. I mean, oh, you've yeah, got Jovovich, who is amazing and just dominates every scene she's in. But yeah, I suppose apart from that, there are a load of guys in it, aren't there, who would just naturally assume the perfect being would be a guy. Yeah, and it's it's funny, that kind of the, the default assumption as well as, you know, the default when we're writing or creating these characters. And one, a friend... Um, mentioned a game to me that when he was playing as a as a young boy and he plays all the way through this game and just assumed that he was playing a boy and then oh actually in the last bits you get like a special code and you can take off the suit and she's in a little leotard and suddenly oh actually i've been playing a female action hero this entire time <laughs> i had no idea and this is um the 1986 nintendo game metroid so yeah this whole thing they fight the whole way through and it's just kind of you know think back in the day of lots of pixels so you're not really going to tell um it's just this person wearing a big black you know fighting suit and then at the end oh you're a woman i've been playing a woman for hours <laughs> i just thought that was really you know, quite quite fun and different but there's a, a few and i say a few but there's quite a list of things that i wanted to <laughs> bring up first um i thought that there's two texts in particular that actually kind of look at society of what would happen if things were completely turned on their head so you have um in comics you've got why the last man by brian Va brian k vaughan where basically every single man in the world dies except for one. So obviously in this world, women are filling up pretty much all the possible jobs that you have because there's nobody else to fill them. So that's, you know, an interesting look at that. And then you have um, the recent Women's Fiction Prize winner, um, The Power by Naomi Alderman. So again, this this book looks at what happens if women suddenly got a power which made them physically stronger than men and then you have the how this plays out in terms of what roles um in society these women can take you know suddenly the big kind of criminal underbelly you know is taken over by women because they're the ones with the strength the raw power um you know things like that so it's just it's a really interesting look when you get this kind of complete flipping of, okay, well, everyone in those positions of power is suddenly a woman. And that's really interesting to look at. But generally, I did want to get some shout out for um, science fiction books and films and so on that have characters who, uh, female characters who are in STEM 
job roles um and i think that's great because obviously it's a big deal you know government's always talking about getting how do we get more women into science and technology and maths and uh, you know it's it's a it's an important thing that we need to cover and it's great that sci-fi is actually kind of doing that in its own way so um i think like mechanics there's lots of like fantastic mechanics in sci-fi and i think charlotte will absolutely back me up when i say kaylee from firefly yep she's on my list yeah <laughs> absolutely fantastic and um i think i've regularly said you know that how much i love becky chambers and um she's been on the podcast before and she's fantastic but you've got kizzy in long way to a small angry planet you've got pepper in close and common orbit um they're both you know, mechanics and, and they're just fantastic at what they do and they are not defined by their roles they have completely different personalities and completely different backstories and you know it's just oh, it's fantastic um and then you have something like planetfall by emma newman with renata who's the 3d printer technician who again has this just uh, phenomenal characterization and story behind her and yeah absolutely brilliant Highly recommend it. And then, in you know, in TV, you've got Nomi in The Expanse and she's the chief engineer. So, like, hands up to, like, mechanics and engineers because you ladies are fantastic. And I have to say, we were talking earlier about wool and I was saying that she didn't get a chance to be a law enforcement officer, but she is actually a fantastic mechanic. Um, ah, and true. That's, that comes out much later on when... Um, Again, Wool is one of those books you really don't want to spoil because if you spoil the main twist, then it all kind of goes out the window. But they do have plenty of women in there who are fixing all sorts of stuff and are just invaluable um, to the the running of the, the silo. Absolutely. I mean, outside of like mechanics and like engineering, really hands-on science work, um, I just wanted to shout out also to some of the wonderful scientists we have. So um, Avrana Kern from Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. She's an interesting character, especially because, you know, well, again, it's one of these things I can't really talk about without giving things away. So <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. The Biologist in Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. You've got uh, Karina in Shattered Minds by Laura Lamb. She's a biohacker. That's cool. And then also I was thinking of Trinity from The Matrix because she's a ha hacker, a programmer. Like she's, yeah. she is a scientist. Yeah. You don't really think, you know, people think, oh, you know, she's there doing a flip kicks or whatever but no she's like she's cool <laughs> my version of cool yeah autonomous which i can't remember it's just won another award um by annalee newitz uh that features she's called like a patent pirate and her name is jack but yeah she's a woman but she's basically just a chemist she reverse engineers drugs um and, and to get around like the basically the pharmaceutical giants stranglehold on medications that they're not giving out to the people oh um because that's not happening in real life anyway that's that's a fantastic one as well and then i also thought of uh murph in interstellar so you know the the man goes off on this epic quest and whatever and he leaves his family behind so what does his family do well she becomes an amazing scientist and basically saves the planet so <laughs> go murph excellent <laughs> so that was just my my short list <laughs> wow megan that is quite a comprehensive list and i mean you are far more well versed in this than i am but i have to have two of my own shout outs i think um one of them would have to be zoe from firefly i mean we mentioned kaylee 
the less said about Inara, the better I feel. But Zoe is fantastic. We were talking earlier about um, the idea of if you have the caring role versus the completely military role uh, and butting heads. And you kind of get a little bit of that with um, Mal and Zoe because being two ex um military types they obviously have this bond that none of the others share but zoe is just as ruthless sometimes more ruthless than um mal and she's not necessarily his conscience all the time she's more sort of just the level-headed one that when he gets himself into stupid fights she's there going yeah he shouldn't have done that <laughs> so i mean that's that's one of my my favorites um i don't know whether i can we include katniss everdeen in it I see. I struggle with this one because it's it's dystopian, which used to be a subset of science fiction, but now I kind of feel like it's it's a, almost its own genre. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say that their world is built off tech, especially like the dome and everything where they like compete. It's it's a tech thing, so I'm gonna say sci-fi. I'll <laughs> I'll allow it because obviously I'm I'm in charge of these things. I'll allow it. <laughs> You'll allow it. That's most kind. Um, and the other one that I just um dreamed about being when I was a kid was Mara Jade from the um, Star Wars novels. I always thought it was really fantastic because, I mean, Leia is brilliant. um, And in all the subsequent books um, written by all the different people, um, too many to name, but I devoured them all when I was a kid. And the, you know, the way that they moved Leia forward was always good. And they were some brilliant stuff of her being a mother in there and still being kick-ass. But Mara Jade was always by far my favourite, possibly because, you know, she got to to have Luke and I always had a soft spot for Luke. I always felt he deserved his own girl and his own happy ending. But she was she was just amazing. And because she started out with the dark side and sort of transitions across to the light, she's got a really, really interesting character arc and proves that she can do everything that the super cool Luke can do. Absolutely. I mean, let's just ugh, shout out to the expanded universe. Disney <laughs> and your canon. Ugh expanded universe all the way (laughs) absolutely so the future of women in science fiction is looking both bright and varied we have generals admirals captains pilots we have mothers engineers scientists and investigators it seems that authors and directors have not only expanded traditional female roles in unusual settings they've also placed women in roles traditionally associated with men and shown women to be just as competent in them thank you for listening to breaking the glass slipper please join us again next time